One of my, one of my favorite stories is Les Miserables, right? Les Mis, we, we're familiar with it. Uh, this, this one, for me, always grabs me. Um, I've read the novel, I mean, even the, the unabridged version. I, I've seen the movie. I've been to the play multiple times. I missed it last weekend in Kansas City, but we're looking forward to it being released in, in just a couple of weeks, right? The, the new movie version. Um, can't wait for it. Now, I don't tend to be a very emotional person, uh, maybe despite everything that just, you know, all that, but I, I, most people who know me would probably be more likely to refer to me as a hardened cynic than as a tender sentimentalist, and yet this story and, and the music of the, of, the, of the music always gets me, I mean, kind of embarrassingly so. I watched the one-minute movie trailer a couple of weeks ago, and I cried. Seriously, in one minute, it's just, it just grabbed me. There's just something, I mean, if you know the story, right? And even, even the, the, the French title, right? It means the miserable ones. It's, a, it's about the miserable people of the earth longing for something better. Longing for the brokenness and the sin and the darkness in our lives, in our world, to no longer reign around us. One of my, one of my favorite songs from the musical is from one of the, the side characters, Eponine, um, on my own. If, if you know the music, you know this song. It's, it's sort of a showstopper. It starts off, let me read what, what she begins. She says, And now I'm all alone again, nowhere to turn to, no one to go to, without a home, without a friend, without a face to say hello to. And as you listen to this song, you feel with Eponine the agony of isolation. I mean, the very idea of being alone. Whether it's in the midst of, of tragedy or in the midst of joy. I mean, loneliness is a terrifying prospect. Now, I'm not alone. You know, so so why, does, why does that song hit me? Because I think like most people, I'm afraid of being alone. And, and sometimes I feel alone anyway. I mean, don't we, from time to time? I mean, I mean, think about that. Think about, in your life, going through the most terrible of circumstances, or even, even the greatest, but having nobody in the world who knows. Or think about the prospect of dying alone. Is anything more terrifying? I mean, there, there's a reason why solitary confinement is still considered one of the worst punishments. Now, on the, on the other hand, I mean, some of us could probably use a little bit more alone time, right? Uh, some of us, maybe the, the idea of being stranded on a deserted island sounds like a good prospect. Uh, but for like two and a half days, right? Anything longer than that, and we make a companion out of a volleyball, and we name him Wilson, don't we? I mean, that's, that's, that's the way it works. We, we're, we're terrified of loneliness, and maybe, maybe some of us feel that way right now. I mean, for, for a variety of reasons. Maybe, maybe because of uh, viewing our world and seeing such tragedy, or maybe, maybe even just sitting here, right, surrounded by all these people, and you feel alone. And oftentimes, I know that that can be highlighted by the, the season in, in which we're found, right? Christmas season. And, and so maybe, maybe you feel alone because... There's somebody you really wish you could spend the holidays with, but they're no longer around. You've lost them. Or maybe on the other side you feel alone because there are lots of people you get to spend the holidays with, but you don't really want to see any of them, right? We feel that on both sides. 
Maybe you feel alone because you long to, to have a child, or maybe you feel alone because your children have grown and left, or maybe you feel alone because you, you long for a spouse, or because your spouse is anything but a friend. We, we struggle with this idea of loneliness, and loneliness terrifies us. And I wonder if the people of God, we sang about it just a moment ago, uh, building up to the birth of Jesus, right, that 400 years, I wonder if they felt lonely. I wonder if they felt abandoned by God. I mean, just think about that. We often refer to that time period as the 400 years of silence, that the Old Testament ends in Malachi with this prediction of one who would come to set our hearts and our world to rights. And between that page and our Bibles and the next... 400 years, silence, waiting, loneliness. So by, by the time the Messiah arrived, it must have sounded to some like the, the, the ramblings of a fool, nothing more than an empty conspiracy theory. No wonder this baby born in Bethlehem received so little attention at his birth, right? Just a few shepherds, a few wise men a little bit later. And now here we are, 2,000 years later. I mean, 400 kind of sounds like a cakewalk, doesn't it? 2,000 years and still counting, still waiting for our Messiah to return, waiting for him to set our hearts and our world to rights. And last week, if if you're here with us, right, we, we said that we wait, but we will not wait forever. And yet as we wait, sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes we feel abandoned even by God. Nowhere to turn, no one to go to, without a home, without a friend, without a face to say hello to. Do you ever feel alone? But that is not who we are. This side of the manger, this side of the cross and empty tomb, everything changes. Even though there are times when we fear loneliness and even feel loneliness, Christmas means we're never alone. Never. No matter what we face, no matter how much we groan or cry out, for those who follow Jesus, you will never be alone. We see that as we continue our study in Romans chapter 8. Go ahead and turn there. If you've got your Bibles, we'll have the the, the scripture on the screen as well. But Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament And we take in sort of the month of December here, right, Advent, uh, retelling the story behind the story of Christmas by focusing on this one incredible chapter in the book of Romans. And we began by by saying, in Christ, Christmas means there is no condemnation. And then we said that in Christ, right, uh, for those who know him, slaves have become sons and daughters, Last week we saw that our world waits and groans and that we ourselves wait and groan, but we will not wait forever. And this morning, we see what truly enables us to wait well in the midst of all the groaning, in the midst of all the pain. Paul says that it's God's spirit within us that enables us to wait. Let me read our whole text here this morning, and then we'll begin walking through. It's just two verses, Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts 
knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And here in this text, we see that with Him, with the Holy Spirit within us, as followers of Jesus, we are never alone. And we see three things. That He is with us, He speaks for us, and He knows what's best for us. First, He's with us. Our God is always with us. That's that's what he says, verse 26, right? It starts off, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, now Paul, by by beginning there, he's referring back to what we talked about last week, right? This was just two verses, a couple verses previous, when when Paul talked about all this groaning that we experience and groaning in our world. Let me read a little bit of it. Verse 22, if you look back, Paul said, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirits, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so in verse 26, right, when, when Paul says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, that idea of weakness is referring to our human limitations, our insecurities, our inabilities. We're weak and we know it. And because we're weak, we wait. And because we wait, we groan. And the groaning is inevitable in a world of such brokenness where we ourselves are so broken. I mean, sometimes we literally groan, don't we? You know, stub your toe, get a stomach ache. Or, or maybe, you know, when we hear the, about the shocking events, right? It, it, we literally, we groan in agony and pain. Sometimes our groans take the, take the form of just sort of, you know, complaints or frustrations. And oftentimes, it's, it's kind of this wrapped up feeling of, of disillusionment, maybe, or fear, or anxiety, disappointment at our failures, at ourselves. I mean, we, we groan. And we spent most of our time last week talking about the fact that every one of us groans with our world. We feel it in our bones. And then Paul continues in verse 26. He adds to this weakness. It's not just that we groan. He says, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. It's not just that we groan. It's that in the midst of the pain, we are so paralyzed that we don't even know how to pray. Don't even know how to pray. Prayer. That's a hard one, isn't it? So how's your prayer life? Ever been asked that question? I hate that question. I hate it because, because my answer is always lousy. Thanks for making me feel worse. I mean, that, right? Prayer, prayer is, is hard. I'm not sure there's a Christian alive who could really be able to answer that question. Great. You know, it's, it's awesome. Thanks for asking. Because prayer is hard. No, no matter how much you pray or how often you pray, no matter how sweet your intimacy is with God when you pray, no matter how good it is, Paul says, we still don't have a clue. We, we struggle in this, this idea of prayer. And sometimes that makes us feel even lonelier, doesn't it, when we pray? Prayer's hard. It's hard because we don't understand it. It's hard because we don't practice it. It's hard because it feels like talking to yourself, right, which is just weird, It's hard because uh, with so much brokenness around us, we don't often even know what to say. It's hard because we don't always see the good that it does. 
It's hard because it seems kind of far-fetched, right? The God who made everything really wants to listen to me? Really? It's hard. And Paul specifically says here, we, we just we don't know what to say when we pray. If I were to meet the president or, or a king, an emperor, I wouldn't know what to say. So what am I supposed to say to the one who rules everything? We don't know how to pray as we ought, he says. I mean, think about that. Do I, do I pray that God would spare my children from harm? Or knowing that, that hardship is some of the things that cause us to grow most in our faith and dependence on Christ, that God would use the harm to, to teach it. I mean, what, what do we pray? I mean, do I pray that my, my friend would, would be healed? Or do I, do I pray that, you know, that he would learn to trust in the midst of disappointment? What do we, what do we pray for the people who are, who are suffering this, this incredible, I mean, tragedy? What, what do we pray? And, and then if we think about it further, it's like, well, gosh, what if I, what if I pray the wrong thing? And what is that going to mean? And, and what? Prayer's hard. But this is what Paul is telling us. We're weak. And our prayers are little more than fumbling groans in the presence of the king. But we're not alone. The Spirit is with us, and he helps us. And we're going to see what that looks like in a moment, this, this help that he gives. But just let that sink in for a moment, this, the presence of God within us. I mean, it's such a common truth for many of us, but it is anything but common that God is with us and not just with us. Because of Jesus, he is in us, that he's made his home with us. The Holy Spirit, the third person of this mysterious Trinity, he is with you. You are never alone. And in the midst of all of our groanings and fumblings, right, he hears us and he speaks for us. That's the second thing here, that the Spirit understands our groans even better than we do, and he translates them into the best prayers. I mean, it's kind of an amazing thing. It's verse, verse 26 again, picking up in the middle. It says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We don't know what to pray. We don't even know how to pray half the time. But he does. And the one who is always with us intercedes for us. That means he prays for us. He, he translates our groanings to express what it is we truly need, truly desire. He translates it. It's kind of an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, I remember a time back in high school, I went on a mission trip to kind of the Texas-Mexico border. Uh, and one of the evenings, we were at some Spanish-speaking church, right? And I was giving my, my testimony, you know, the story of how I came to, to faith in, in Jesus um, in a Spanish-speaking congregation, and no habla espanol, okay? Uh, and so I had, a, I had a translator, and it was his job to take whatever I said and make it coherent to the people who were listening, right? And without him, I, I, I was helpless, right? I couldn't possibly do it, and yet 
the translator did that for me so that I could communicate what I was trying to say. I, I love what, what Philip Yancey says then in response to this. He says, Paul holds out the strong promise that in prayer, we have the perfect translator so that even our wordlessness finds its way to the source of all grace. So that even our groans, even our sighs, even our cries make sense to him. Now, often as a pastor, uh, people will, will ask me to pray for them. And I, I love that. I mean, I, I really do. I mean, we have those prayer cards, right? You can fill those out. I love to be able to pray for the needs of our congregation. Absolutely. Of course I do. But occasionally, someone will ask, and you can kind of read the motivation behind their ask. It's kind of because they think I have superpowers. Like, like God somehow, like, we, God, and, God and me, I mean, we're, we are like this, right? And if I pray it, oh man, it's just what? It's ridiculous, right? The beauty of the gospel is that every one of us in Christ, we have equal access before the Father. Unhindered. I mean, isn't that incredible that regardless of who you are, what your background is, whether you've been to seminary or not, it doesn't matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus. It doesn't matter. We all have equal access to, to God. And here, I mean, Paul is saying that we have the Holy Spirit on our prayer team. I mean, have you ever prayed with somebody, right? Like a prayer partner, you know, where you take turns kind of praying aloud or whatever. It can be a little bit awkward, but it's a powerful thing. The Holy Spirit is our ultimate prayer partner, always with us, always praying and groaning alongside us, speaking for us, interceding and groaning with us. I love verse 26. I'm so glad Paul includes this. I love that he says it's groanings too deep for words. Do you see that in, in your text? Groaning too deep for words. I mean, if you've been following Paul's argument, right, these last couple of weeks, I mean, he said that we ourselves, we, we groan, we cry out, and, and not just us, but all of creation, everything that God made groans with us. And now we see it's the exact same word, even the Holy Spirit, even God himself groans with us. We, creation, God, that's pretty much everything. Grown in the midst of a broken world. You are not alone. God himself, through his spirit, groans with you, groans with us. I mean, I've often said, I even said it last week, you know, and I've said it at every funeral I've ever done. Um, you know, one of the most incredible things about our faith is that we have a God, unlike any other God, any other religion, a God who knows our pain. Because only, only our faith, right, has a God who came to earth in the person of Jesus who doesn't just know theoretically about our groans, but actually groaned here with us and groaned for us. He suffered, right? That we have that. It's an incredible privilege. But that groaning didn't end 2,000 years ago when he ascended back into heaven. The Holy Spirit continues to groan. Groaning's too deep for words. And all of our loneliness, all of our fear, all of our pain, all of our temptation, he groans with us. And in all of his praying for us, all of these groans with us, he knows what's best for us. Because he doesn't just translate our prayers. He mysteriously morphs them into whatever we should have been praying in the first place. Verse 27 
It's essentially what Paul is getting at there. Verse 27, he says, says, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, don't get hung up on the word saints there. Uh, When Paul uses that word, he's talking about everyone who believes. All Christians, according to Paul, are saints. So he's, he's talking about all of us with faith in Jesus. And he says there, when the Spirit intercedes on our behalf, he always does so in line with the will of God. Which means that all of his prayers are for exactly what is best for us on our behalf. He takes our messed up, inarticulate groans, even when we don't know what to say, even when we say nothing. He takes all of our lousy prayers and he turns our requests and our cries into the exact thing that we need, even if we don't know what we need. He makes even our worst prayers align with our loving Father. That's a remarkable thing, isn't it? I mean, particularly when, when you're feeling that, what do I pray? I mean, that's, that's how I felt Friday, right? I mean, just trying to, what do I even say, God? I, just, I don't even know how to process this. And yet to know and, and having, you know, studied this text, to just be able to say, okay, God, I don't know. So take these groans and you do what you need to do. Take, take the groan, take the crying, take the pain and do what you need to do. We so often don't even know what to pray for, but because of Jesus and because of his spirit within us, it's okay, we don't have to know. And the ears of our Father, our prayers always come out perfect. It's pretty amazing. Since they were born, we've been trying to teach our kids how to pray. You know, they're five and three, and, and most of that means just sort of modeling it with them, helping them a little bit along the way from, from here, to, here to here, you know, doing that. I mean, as, as parents, that's, that's our job, right? If you want kids who pray, you need to pray with them, and often to, to teach them what that looks like. And so, we, so we've done that, and uh, oftentimes they, they want to they want to pray, you know? And so we'll, we'll let them do that, obviously, and encourage that. And so a couple of weeks ago at dinner time, they like to both pray at dinner because they'll fight about who gets to go, and, which is really great when you think about prayer, right? To fight about, but, you know, they're learning. Um, and, and so it was David's turn to go first, and he, he prayed, and we were all, you know, eyes closed, listening, kind of, he finished up his thing, and then we're waiting for Eden to go next. So we're just sitting there, you know, still eyes closed, kind of waiting, you know, I don't know if she's waiting for the spirit to move or something, but she's three years old and she's just sitting there and finally we, we look up at her and she kind of has this sheepish look on her face because she'd spent the entire time of David's prayer shoving food in her mouth. And she was so stuffed full and finally she just muttered, you know, with, with absolute incoherence, I'm chowing down. I mean, that, that, was, the, that was her prayer that night. That was it. Far from perfect, right? Far from perfect. So are mine, right? And and sure, we we help them, and sometimes they want to repeat after us, you know, or we'll give them a few things to help them get started and, and what it looks like to pray, but we never grow out of that need for help. Thomas Merton, he writes, we do not want to be beginners at prayer. But let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything but beginners all our life. But who better to help us than God's Spirit? Who better to help us than God's Spirit? And besides, have you ever prayed for something 
and then later on been relieved that God didn't do what you'd asked? I can remember back in, in Bible college, Kelly and I met at, in Bible college in Chicago, um, and I thought that for sure that God was, was leading me, calling me to be a pastor in sort of a rural, kind of remote country setting, right? Nowheresville, Kansas or something. Some of you are from there, I think. Um, that, that kind of place. I thought, I thought that's where God was leading me. Uh, and Kelly, since she was a little girl, she thought God was calling her overseas as a missionary. She was convinced of that. And that's how we prayed, right? We prayed accordingly. And we praise God that he didn't answer our prayers like we wanted him to. Not, not because those would have been bad places, but because we're, we're convinced that God has brought us, despite all of our prayers, he's brought us where he wants us. And we know that, and we, we, we couldn't possibly imagine life without it. That's, that's the spirit at work, right? It's like, well, that's what they're praying for. But I've got something better in mind, something different. C.S. Lewis writes, If God had answered all the silly prayers I've made in my life, where should I be now? Or, and I hate country music, but I can't resist. Some of you are already thinking it, right? Garth Brooks, right? Some of God's great, I wish I could say it with a really deep, you know, twang, but some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer, right? That's, that's the spirit. And Christmas means that we are never alone, for he is with us, he speaks for us, and he knows us better than we even know ourselves. And we are so blessed. And yet we keep waiting, and we keep groaning. So what does it look like, right? Same, same as what we said last week. Really, these are, these are two parts of the same message, last week and this week. We said, how do we live between groaning and glory? What does it look like in this, this land in between in which we live? How do we wait with the Spirit, knowing that He is with us? But how do we wait? How do we do it? Oh, I just want to mention three things. As we, as we conclude this, keep groaning, don't waste your groaning, and groan with hope. Keep groaning. I mean, groaning, groaning is a normal part of life in a broken world. We don't have to hide from it. We don't have to be afraid of it. I mean, some of us, I think we have lousy prayer lives, some of us at least, because we're, we're so afraid to really present what we long for before God. We feel like we've got to clean ourselves up, right? We've got to put on that happy face, tell God what he wants to hear, right? We, we feel like we have to make our prayers perfect when God would much rather we're just honest with him. That we could keep groaning, that we could cry out. I mean, most of the prayers recorded in scripture, I mean, if you look at the Psalms, most of them are laments. Laments are cries out to God. God, how long? Why is the world like this? What's, what's wrong with this situation? They're, they're cries. We could... We can cry out to God. God is not afraid to handle our pain. I mean, he did so on the cross, didn't he? He can certainly listen to us as we weep before him, as we groan to him. Keep groaning. Don't bottle that up. Keep groaning. But don't waste your groaning. Because some of us, frankly, we just whine and complain, don't we? Some of us waste our pain and we become calloused and bitter. That's not what Paul is talking about. Instead, we need to re redirect our groans to God. Instead of allowing uh, your frustrations to become the droning whines of a two-year-old, turn your groans into prayers. Even when the pain is too deep for words, let it push you towards prayer. I mean, a couple of years ago, I, I've shared this before. Um, a couple, couple of years ago, I, I went through 
a period of mild depression or burnout, or I, I don't really know what it was. It was just kind of a, a dark period. I, I, again, I've, I've shared this. This isn't, shouldn't be unfamiliar to many of you. Um, but it was, it was an ugly time, right? And I just, I remember one incident in, in particular, and I may have even shared this, bef- shared this before, of, of where it was really the low point um, for me. I, I don't even know why, but it was just, just dark, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I remember that the house was, was empty, and I remember laying on the hallway floor face down in, in the hall. I mean, I couldn't even find a respectable place to do this, uh, and just groaning, Afraid, alone, uh, feeling like a failure, just, just confused, right? And, and I, I remember though, slowly over time, right, as I laid there on my face, um, those groans became prayers in ways that I can't even, I don't, I don't know what I said, I don't even know if I used words, and yet somehow in those moments, even in the darkness, I began to, to know that God was there, that he was with me, that he loved me. And really, that, that was, in that, that whole season, that was a turning point for me. I don't, again, I don't know why, I don't know how to explain it, but that was a, a moment in my weakness, in my pain, in which I could feel God meeting me, even in my groans. Don't waste your groans. Don't waste them. I mean, I know how, prayer, how hard prayer is, okay? I know how awkward it can be. Do it anyway. Pray, pray more, pray often, pray with, with discipline. Set aside specific times in your day, in your life, in order to turn those groans into prayers. And, and pray conversationally, right? As the groanings bring these things to mind, ask God to be there, that you would know his presence, that you would be able to communicate to him. I mean, just imagine the God who loves us and made us longs to hear from us. I mean, we already said that now in Christ, we are sons and daughters. He is our father. And what what loving father doesn't long to spend time with his children? And he asks us to. And in ways that are completely mysterious to me, God interacts in our world when we pray. And he interacts in us. I I don't understand it, but he does. Jesus died so that we could have access to the Father And in the Spirit, we are able to come to Him with joy, and He's listening. And yet prayer so often ends up, you know, last on our list, doesn't last on my list. The Holy Spirit is there turning our fumblings into beauty. And and if that's true, prayer is less about what we say and more about our posture before God. It's It's not what we pray, it's that we pray. That, that we, on a regular basis, position ourselves before God and simply say, I need. I mean, prayer is nothing if not a confession of our dependence. It says, I don't have what it takes. Man, that's, that's what prayer is, fundamentally, isn't it? That I, I can't do this on my own. I don't have what it takes to be a good pastor. I don't have what it takes to be a good husband or a good father or a good friend. I don't have what it takes to overcome all of my sins. I don't have what it takes to deal emotionally with a tragedy like that. Or even to know how to respond. I don't know. I don't have what it takes. But he does. And there is something powerful simply about positioning ourselves before God every day and saying, I need you. If nothing else, just to say that we are dependent on one bigger than us. That we don't have it all figured out. So don't, don't waste your groaning. And finally, finally groan with hope. 
can be a hard one, can't it? In fact, those two words don't even seem possible to go together. Groan, you know, cry, and hope. But that's who Christ has called us to be. And as God's people, we can groan with hope. Hope that, hope that we're not alone, that he is with us, that he hears us, that he groans alongside us, that he actually knows and experiences our pain with us. Hope that, that he will communicate, right, through us to the Father uh, what we truly need to be said, that he helps us do that. And hope that we will not groan forever. I mean, with every request, with every prayer before God, we can say, God, this is what I want. Right? We can be bold in our prayers. Jesus bought that privilege for us with his blood. But to say, God, this, this is what I want. But even more than what I want, I want what you want. Because what you want is always best, even if I can't see it, if even I can't understand it, even if it causes me deep heartache. That's what the Spirit does in us and for us. And the more I think about this, the more it gives me freedom and joy when I pray. I mean, it takes, it takes out some of the pressure, doesn't it? It's some of the fear. It takes away some of the, the painful legalism or the faulty expectations or the self-imposed awkwardness. Instead, there can be delight as we position ourselves before God. For He is with us. Christmas means we are never alone. Emmanuel literally means God with us, but even more amazing, for those who trust in Jesus, we have God in us, always with us. And that's what Jesus did for us. I mean, Jesus, while, while hanging on the cross, right, bearing the, the full weight of the wrath of God for my sins, he cried out to his Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You just imagine that the perfect Son of God abandoned by his father because he was, he was carrying all of my sins. All of our sins. Jesus was abandoned so that I never have to be. Jesus was, was fully and completely, utterly alone as he hung on the cross so that you and I never have to be alone. In this world and in the world that we long to see, the world that we groan for, Eponine, that girl in Les Mis who, who sang of, of her desperate loneliness, at the end of the musical, she, she joins in with the chorus, the chorus of all the miserable people of the earth. And they cry out together. This is, this is how it ends. They cry out, do you hear the people sing? Lost in the valley of the night, it is the music of a people who are climbing to the light. For the wretched of the earth, there is a flame that never dies. Even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. They will live again in freedom in the garden of the Lord. They will walk behind the plowshare. They will put away the sword. The chain will be broken and all men will have their reward. And then they sort of ask the audience. They say, somewhere beyond the barricade, is there a world you long to see? Is there a world? You, I love that question. Is there a world you long to see? A world without groaning? A world where the pain and the, the heartache and the temptation and the loneliness and the fear will all be in the past, gone forever. Paul says, yes, there is. We will not wait forever. And even though the waiting is hard, 
And we are free to feel it. Free to acknowledge and know our pain. We don't have to be Pollyanna as we carry on together. But even while we wait, we will never wait alone. Come, Lord Jesus.